The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. I think I've received probably three or four messages lately, Holly, of people saying things like, why don't you change the name from the Why Me Project to Holly and Friends? Yeah. Because it seems every (laughs) week you say, oh, I heard so-and-so speak, or I had coffee with who's a whatchamacallit. And so when you said we need to talk with Tori, I'm like, okay, let's do that. So instead of the Why Me Project, it is now called Holly and Friends. That's like about it. right. Yes. Why me with Holly and Friends? <laughs> and oh Johnny. yeah, and Johnny. Featuring <laughs> Johnny. Perfect. Tori Hart, I need how to say are that. You? I'm great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, you say that now. Yeah. Wait 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's good. I like you already. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you did say yes, as I was a part of the CMB Women um, in Radio session, and it was so encouraging, inspiring. And I was like, Beth, who's Beth Bacall, part of Momentum and The Fish in Atlanta. And I was like, Tori, can I get her my podcast? And she's like, oh, yeah, you should reach Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Let's so, go. So I did. I Instagrammed you, and you said yes. So I'm very excited. Always. I Very like those excited. Instagram DMs, you know, yes. make some new friends. Most people don't like that, though, because I've sent a ton of people uh, direct me- DM direct message, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a computer guy. Uh, and people are sending messages back. Please don't. Please stop sending me messages. Mm. <laughs> well, I think it depends on your approach to any sort of social media in general. If it's run by a management team or an individual who already has like too much on their plate. I find that that's the typical response. But for me, I how the way I've always approached this, because it's always the social media question of the vice of it and the distraction and the manipulation of it and whether or not we should be participating in it in any form or fashion. I think this is an opportunity for me to connect with an actual human being on the other side of a phone somewhere where I am not. And so if there is a DM or a message, I count that as a, privilege and a personal Mm. connection with a real person. And so that's my approach to it. Now, listen, if I was, if I had hundreds of thousands of followers and hundreds of thousands of messages, I guess it just depends on the person because I probably wouldn't be able to keep up with that. I think I could probably talk on DMs as a full-time job. Yeah. Like for instance, I sent Elon Musk a message. I DM'd him and I said, Hey, want to be best friends? Never got back to me. I can't believe that. What wow. a jerk. Just kidding. Wow. This is, but I'm sending messages like that to a lot of people. Yeah. And those, no response. Those don't I'm work. I'm sorry, Johnny. Especially yeah. when you say things you like, talk about it? DM me and oh. I will get you $400. You, you can't oh, start. Oh, gosh. You can't those start are just like that. Block. You can't You're do like, those block, either? block, oh, block. Man. That's so, why I love My name's Johnny. You want to make a million dollars? I'll show you how to grow your following by. Hundreds of thousands, just as long as you're my friend. <laughs> I spent $400 and I got two friends from it. So the, the, it's a scam or something. It's a bad ROI. I'm sorry. I'm letting you know. The hardest question we will ask you today, and then we'll kind of just go from there, yeah. is uh, who are you and where did you come from? Well, I was born from a woman named Anita Swearingen 31 years ago in Lodi, California. Um, if we're going all the way back to the origin story. No, I, my name is Tori Hine and, um, I am married to Matt Hine, who is the lead singer of I Am Bay. We live, uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee on, you know, out in the country. We're living that country life right now, which is really fun. <laughs> uh, when my husband for- started full time touring back in 2015, we were still living in 
Nevada at the time. That's where we were raised and grew up as West Coast. And God plucked us out of the middle of nowhere in the desert of Nevada and positioned us with an opportunity to travel and do music and ministry full time, which we never asked for or desired or really pursued. God just brought it. Our heart has always been for the local church and for ministry and seeing the church united under that call. So we were really excited to pursue this crazy opportunity that literally came out of nowhere. Uh, we literally were working. Matt was working for the state of Nevada. I was a teacher and we raised all this money with our local community to get out to Nashville so that we could bank in a gift that we were given or a reward that we were given at a festival in Northern California for one professionally recorded song in Nashville, Tennessee. And we were like, yes, this is amazing. A big break. This is our big break. We didn't even think it was going to be a big break. We were just like stoked to go to Nashville and see Nashville and then go back to our J-O-Bs and move on with our life. And, but by the end of that week, we were sitting in all of the major music labels in Nashville, Tennessee, and God was opening crazy doors wow. that we never could have opened on our own. Hmm. You can't help but when God starts opening doors like that to recognize that he is there and we need to follow. And so I had done ministry with Matt for the years leading up to this, but at this time I was pregnant with our first child and all these changes were happening in my particular participation in the ministry has been holding the ground at home as a work from home mom, balancing entrepreneurship and motherhood and ministry in the midst of my husband's full-time touring schedule. And uh, that's that's been our story for the last 10 years, really. It's been 10 years since that time. And God has done so much. And I'm excited to talk more about this with you guys today for sure usually we get the artist and so we say what's it like when you leave home you leave the mm -hmm. family behind you're leaving right. the kids behind the dog behind. Yep. it's like a country song but <laughs> this is a bit of the opposite in the sense that he's exactly. leaving you behind yeah that's so right what is life as an artist's wife like oh gosh you know you could have some incredibly powerful conversations with some of your favorite artists' wives, if you got them all in a room, because behind every successful minister of the gospel in the form of music, I always say the songwriters and the artists of this generation are like the modern day prophets for the church. Yes. They're carrying mm -hmm. messages that are like a mini sermon set to melody. So you can actually remember it. <laughs> you can sing it. Like most people will not remember all of the words to their pastor's sermon on a Sunday. They mm. will remember every word to the songs that you're playing on your radio stations. And with every high calling as a prophet and as a minister of the gospel, there is an underlying root system of support and, you know, passion and stuff that's happening underneath the surface that you know nothing about because they're not out in the limelight. And um, so to answer your question, how, how has that been? Well, that is quite a question because... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, it's just, it's taken so much creativity and honestly, a lot of humility and navigating the reality of a lot of broken dreams and sacrifice personally on my part to be able to partner with what God was doing and embrace my place in the greater picture of what God was calling our whole family to do, but especially my husband as, you know, being, being out in the open for that. So like when he first started full-time touring, for example, uh, he was making $25 per show. They were driving in a 15 passenger white van behind all of the regular size tour buses and artists on a really large tour throughout the entire country. Like, you know, playing with bigger artists like David Crowder and Mercy Me. Um, but they would drive through the night behind the rest of the artists and arrive there in the morning, shower, eat, do all of the things at the event, play the show, wrap up, you know, clean up all of their stuff, leave at 2 a.m., sleep in the tour bus drivers already slept in hotel rooms because they couldn't afford hotel rooms for like three hours and then get back in the 15 passenger van and drive through the night rotating and trying to sleep like in the back of the 15 passenger van, wow. getting paid $25 a day. You have to really know God has called you to something and that he is in it. If you're going to sign up for some sort of torture like this. So I was home with our, uh, our oldest son, Micaiah, and, um, I was working five part-time jobs from like 5am until midnight in order to make ends meet and pay our bills. And, you know, it's one of those things where when God calls you to go all in on something, you have to go all in and you have to be open to whatever God is going to use to be able to provide the way forward of what he's called you to. But I mean, it's not too far of a jump from the $25 show situation, even 10 years later. Everyone, when we left our hometown in Nevada was like, remember us when you're driving your Lamborghinis and yeah. <laughs> living in your big fancy mansions. And I'm like, you're not talking to Toby Mac here. I feel like maybe he could afford a Lamborghini, <laughs> but like he's maybe one in a small pocket of people in the nope. Christian music industry that could. <laughs> yeah. We're signing up for a very glorified form of full-time ministry and mission work through music. And that's been our, that's been our 10 years. It's been definitely a difficult and also very joyous and fulfilling journey so far. I love that you keep saying we, 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 because often you think of an artist, you just think of them. And like you said, there's an entire support system just to get that artist to where they, they are. Did mm-hmm. you ever feel a little bitter having oh, to yeah. do the Okay. <laughs> That's an easy. That's an easy one. Yes. I'm an open Thank you book. for not lying. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, it's good. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's good. A, I'll tell you because the journey of being willing to embrace my place in what God has called me and my husband to do together, which I do keep saying we now. I wouldn't have ever done that at the very, very beginning because Mm -hmm. the belief and the mindset was my husband gets to go do really awesome, fancy things for Jesus. He gets to go be famous and travel the world. And here I am, you know, peering through my husband's life and my best friend's lives through little light boxes on my Instagram while I'm home wiping baby butts and, you know, folding laundry and working multiple jobs so that they could go and live the dream that I felt was my dream. And, um, that required a lot of death, but 
just like any other time in scripture where you hear you, I've, I've always seen this pattern repeat itself in that what God begins in an early season, he brings to fruition later on. There's a difference between being anointed to do something and then stepping into that role like David. And he was anointed in front of his brothers at a young age. And it wasn't until years later that he actually stepped into his role as a king. Joseph being born with dreams and visions in his youth that God was given him, but needing the maturity and the establishment and the trust and the, honestly, even the, the struggle. There's no, there's no story if you don't have a struggle. There's no overcoming. There's no learning. There's no maturity. There's no perseverance without the presence of those things that God actually takes our obedience in the midst of the seasons when we feel like we've been benched by God or rejected or left out to be able to refine our character so that we can boldly follow him when he calls us to get up off the bench and go. What point did you realize? Because you you keep saying it's a, it's a we ministry and he's kind of off on the road doing his own thing that you wanted to accomplish your goals that yes, Mm -hmm. you had your similar goals, but there was also, there's more to it because you are who you are and Mm -hmm. you have so much to offer. The first few years was just a a barely existing, barely breathing beyond the next set of bills sort of season. So I think in the obedience that I was willing to say yes to in the seasons where I was doing things that I did not enjoy doing and did not want to do for the sake of a support system for the things I knew God was calling us to. It's in the process of those things that I actually learned different gifting. Like I said earlier, I thought that it would always be done through music or through ministry in some sort of formal sense. And then God started showing me, I have gifts in entrepreneurship and in communication and in teaching and in coaching that I probably would have never discovered about myself had he not rejected the opportunity for me to participate in the way that I desired to. Um, it was about a year into the process of full-time touring when the lead singer in our original group, who was the, it's a three-part band and the girl in our original group decided that she didn't want to participate any longer and she couldn't take this tour in life. I just described to you what it was like. Yeah. <laughs> we understood. Sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it sounds great. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, this is my chance. I'm going to be welcomed back into the group. I know all the songs. I've been faithful. I've been consistent. I've been supportive. Like naturally, obviously, I'm the choice, right? And I remember sitting in a little coffee shop um, in Nashville. We weren't living here just yet. And getting that, you know, courageous, it's now or never ask the question, get vulnerable in front of our management team and also the group of people where we were discussing who could potentially fill in the place for the girl who needed to leave for the remainder of the year for uh, the dates that were coming up. And I said, well, what about me? Has anybody thought about me participating? And it was this silence, you know, no one making eye contact with me shuffle in the chairs, the heart beating fast, the palms sweating, the, I think I want to crawl into a hole and just die (laughs) moments of shame. 
Yeah. You know, where I don't know what was happening to everybody else's mind. I knew that they loved me. I knew they cared about me. But I also knew that in that moment, it was this deeply unseen moment of here I am sacrificing my whole life so that you guys could do this. I just need a reaffirmation. Where is my place? Mm. Is my place working five part-time jobs so that you guys can do this? I don't think that's fair. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty burnt out. And our my manager or the manager at the time for the band looked at me and just said, Tori, you hold an essential role here, but this is not your place. And it felt like such deep-rooted betrayal. Uh, we spent the rest of that day, actually July 4th, Independence Day 2015, watching YouTube video after YouTube video of potential candidates that they could interview for the position. And with each video, it was just like, she's better than you. You're not enough. You're not Mm. as good as her. You're not as available as she is. And it was this shrinking down and growing smaller and like, I got to get out of here. I need to get back home to Nevada sort of urgency and feeling in my body and in my mind. And I remember going home and making this conscious choice of saying, well, if this isn't my place and simultaneously we're saying in order to move forward, also we're going to need to move to Nashville within the next six months. So it was this like, leave your family, continue this, you know, sacrificial journey of being willing to follow God and, and trust that my husband was hearing from God and this team of people were as well. Uh, and going home and just like almost wishing, like, could I just crawl into somebody else's skin for a second? Someone who was more talented in this way, someone who was more available than I was, someone who was more gifted. Maybe then, maybe I'd be able to actually hold that space and, and, you know, and lead in that role. And there was still this faithful resolve in me to say, I'll still follow you, but I'm also just really sad and I'm really grieving. And it wasn't until about a year, actually it was a year to the day later, July 4th, 2016, we were living in Nashville. God had used my online business to provide the way forward for us to be able to do that. And I woke up that morning Independence Day, July 4th, this moment of like trauma the year before of like everything is falling apart to this year, to this one year mark and woke up in those same words that the uh, manager had spoken. It's not your place. I woke up with this feeling, the voice in the presence of God, him saying, it's not your place, but not in a condemning or shameful way. It's, it was the realization, if that was not my place, it means that I have a place. God has prepared a place for me. Ephesians 2.10, you are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has preordained before the beginning of time for you to walk in. If I failed to turn around from this rejected door and see all of the potential routes that God could use and change and direct my life, then I would miss out on discovering the place that God had designed for me by just remaining there in a place of grieving and rejection about where my place was not. I mean, that was a couple of years in and there's still been very many peaks and valleys of this journey of 
surrender and being willing to trust God in these things. But all in all, it's knowing that God could literally do and use anything and he can do in a moment what we really couldn't accomplish in a lifetime if we choose to trust him and follow where he leads. I want to talk podcasts. I want to talk coaching and stuff, but I want to, if you thought that perhaps you should have been in the band, Mm -hmm. your husband's in the band. How does that affect your guys' relationship where Mm -hmm. you're driving to the thing? No, honey, I think you're great. You'd be perfect for this. (laughs) And then you get there and he's like, don't tell her that. Does that create conflict between the two of you? Or were you able to separate I am they and your marriage? Yeah. Well, I mean, my husband wasn't the only one making those decisions. He was advocating Tori would be a great, you know, fit. And then he he was also, he knows better. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good husband. He knows. No, uh, gosh, I really do feel like I hit the jackpot in marrying one of the kindest and most considerate people that I have ever met in my entire life. Um, he, is so, so different than me. And as far as we've met many artists and many of them are, um, you know, really outgoing and loud and extroverted and ambitious. My husband is not any of those things, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like plucked us up out of the middle of nowhere and placed us here because of the faithfulness of the calling on his life, not because it would have been his first choice. If you would have asked my husband, he'd say, between the two of you, you or Tori, which one would be more designed for full-time traveling ministry? He'd be like, Tori, I'll stay home mm. with the kids. This is solid. You know, both of us were actually being called to embrace roles that we weren't naturally designed for. It was just as much a surrender for my husband to say, yes, I will leave and go as it was for me to say, yes, I will stay and work. And because I understood the sacrifice on both sides and because I really deeply understand and know so, so without like a shadow of a doubt way beyond I am vague, you know, Matt's love for me. Uh, it was easy to trust and follow him because there was this deep rooted foundation of, of trust and love there. So we've had our moments and it was more earlier on than later, but every time there was this very clear decision on or communication on Matt's part that you say the word and we're done, you know, Mm. like also if you say the word and God confirms that it is over, then like, then we'll shift and we'll follow where God's leading. But because we're both surrendered to God's leading in this, it's always just been, let's fast, let's pray, let's ask God until he makes it extremely clear. Now was the time, move in a different direction. So, I mean, I'm surrendered first and foremost to God's leading more than my husband's, but trusting in that, in that order of things that that's how my husband was leading me. Mm-hmm. So it was tough, but it was also easy. He made it easy. I want to kind of go back to the idea and that feeling of grief and loss, because I feel like as a culture, we're terrible grievers. You only grieve someone who passes away and that's it. The rest you should have just trusted God harder for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been um, a communication that a lot of people in the church have just adopted, but we grieve so much. And I think in the past two years of COVID and not being able to do basic things like life became super basic. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just (laughs) how, what did you learn in the situation about grief to help navigate the coming days? 
This is a great question. So we have to understand the connection piece between vulnerability and disappointment in the midst of processing grief that we not, we all navigate disappointment on one level or another on a day-to-day basis, set an expectation, that expectation isn't met. You're believing that God's going to move in one direction. It turns out in a different way. And that disappointment can very well lead to grief that still needs addressing and needs honesty and needs care in a personal and intimate way. And I believe that one of the most important things for the church and large is to be trauma informed and informed in how to hold things like disappointment and grief while also being biblically sound and spirit filled. We focus so much on the spirit filled and the biblically sound part, but the relational dynamics of being willing to sit with someone in feelings and emotions that are so uncomfortable and should just be moved forward quicker than, you know, what is actually natural in the process of who God has designed us to be, uh, has done a lot of damage in the church at large. And, um, when, when grieving, we have to know that it's not just death of a person, but it's the death of a dream or the death of relationships along the way while we've been doing ministry. Even, you know, there's a grieving, a necessary grieving every time that you experience change in any form. You get married, you have children, you move across the country, you move neighborhoods. I don't care what it is with each change. There's this necessary process of grief. And when this grief is not tended to, it surfaces in a few different ways for the people who are unwilling to embrace the vulnerability that's necessary to really engage a process of healing, they can oftentimes resort to deceit and even addictive behavior, whether that's in the form of a substance or whatever, or in my case, it was in the form of workaholism. If my, if my my relationships are changing. My expectation for what my marriage would look like is changing. If ministry is changing, if I'm going to be left alone, um, if I'm going to be left alone at home for five days out of each week, well, then I'm going to work my butt off in my business and prove that I'm worth something mm-hmm. in the places that I'm able to be. And this addictive behavior around work and approval for me was where I established and connected a false sense of identity and security in what I could produce in my business and the results that I would be producing, not just in my business, but also in working a little bit too hard in my health and in my wellness. I'm in health and wellness, uh, a field of work. So treating my body like a project to gain security and safety, treating my business like a project to gain you know, security. And it wasn't until 2020 when Matt, it was the very first time that he was off the road for seven, eight years. And here we are in this room together, you know, in this house together. Thank God we did not get stuck in uh, our little house in Nashville. (laughs) We moved, we moved out to the country and we're on some land 
about six months before the pandemic hit and everything shut down. And I kept just going, thank you, God, that thank you, God, yes. for leading us and directing <laughs> us and provided this up. If I had been stuck in my house in Nashville, I might actually have gone insane. I, but in the midst of this chaos, I, I didn't really understand this at the time. But I started resorting to these old patterns that I had picked up in the last seven years of this addictive behavior of avoiding grief, Mm. avoiding vulnerability, where I was hustling really hard in my business. And I also committed to this 75 day hard challenge where it included two workouts every day. One of them had to be outside, a perfectly kept diet. 10 pages of a book that you read every day, you you drink a gallon of water every day, and then you have to take a progress picture every day because, you know, I'm <laughs> stressed out. Yeah. So I may as well sign up for another diet and exercise program because that's what I've always done since eighth grade to deal with stress and anxiety yeah. is, is secure something that I could control. Yeah. Matt would come out onto the back porch. I wouldn't also be able to like really... I didn't have enough space in my day to be able to fit in another hour long workout outside. So sometimes I'd be doing them outside at night. It was like 10 PM. I have my headlamp stuck to my head and he's out on the back porch with a bowl of ice cream. And he's like, so what are you doing? And I, I'm like doing burpees in the grass in the backyard, you know, with my like lamp on, I've got like my, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and like, yeah. in my ears. And I'm like, I'm becoming a mentally tough person, babe. 2020 ain't got nothing on me. Like, get to my level, you know? <laughs> and he's like, you're being an absolutely insane person is what you're being. Come inside. Eat some ice cream. Just like relax, rest. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I'm like, no, just like, like drown him out with my playlist and keep on doing my burpees. And it wasn't until day 65 of my 75 day heart challenge. I've made it this far. Mm. I'm rocking it and rolling it where God rocks me with this revelation of from heaven that my security was completely being realigned or misaligned in what I could perform and what I could do in order to achieve worthiness. And it was this encounter with my friend, Carrie Garcia, who's a freedom coach that really brought this revelation in my story and recognizing the different stories that had happened in my past, even before the band that had put me on this pathway of striving for my worth. And it was this stake in the ground. Tori, you have to follow me toward freedom or consciously make the decision to choose bondage. And the problem is, is that I live in a culture. We live in a culture where the things that I was misplacing my identity and were praised. My business is thriving. I got some rock solid abs, you know, yeah. like doing the things, bouncing the mom life, blah, blah, blah. Hashtag boss babe. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yes. All the while, it's this revelation of what, you know, Solomon and Ecclesiastes is saying on a very micro scale. Obviously, he was he was the only one in all of human history to be able to go, I can actually perform this social experiment because I have every possible achievement at my fingertips. I got all the money in the world. I've got all the ladies in the world. I got all the belongings in the world, all the influence in the world. And evaluating this, what is the meaning of life? Where do we place security? vanity of vanities. The only substance to our life is for those who fear God to obey his commandments, to delight themselves in the design and in the, the, the repetitive cycles of life that we find ourselves in to seek joy in the eternal in your everyday. This is man's all. 
this is the joy of life. It was this rocked having to make a conscious choice to walk in freedom, which meant that the last two years has been a lot of unlearning and a lot of undoing all of these false Mm. forms of security and identity in me to truly really for the very first time in my life, really engage in the process of healing, engage in grief. Not like I'm laying around crying all day long, but acknowledging I actually have, I've been created with human capacity and Mm. with emotional needs that God in his goodness and mercy has designed us to be tended to by him and his goodness because of the work and the grace of Jesus. His finished work on the cross allows us to work from a place of worthiness and not for it anymore. It's been a beautiful process of healing over the last couple of years that really only the shift and the change of the pandemic could have surfaced probably in me. I wish I directed my energy into working out. (laughs) I look like a before picture. I went the other way too. Yeah, I, but even in that, even in that, it's just the which way are you going to go? Exactly, the overachieving and the hustle, or the disengagement and the apathy, and we kind of we yeah. isolate between the two of these things. Both of them, one can be praised because he got some rock solid abs on the other side of it, or whatever. But yeah. that's still just a cultural thing. The reality is, is that in both of those, we still just have to point our hearts back toward God in. Yeah. that, you know, to, for satiation and fulfillment. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're able to talk about this now. Did you find the vulnerability difficult? Yes. And no, because I, you may be gaining a little bit about this for me is that I'm a, I will learn the lesson and then I will do it. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. a doer. <laughs> I've loved the Lord since I literally came out the womb. Like my first day in church was like day seven of my life, you know, like came out praising Jesus. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm worshiping God in utero. Yeah. So my whole life has been, I I was always 13 going on 30. Like, I don't want to mess around. We got one life. I want to, I want all God has for me in these, in this short time period that I have here on earth. So when I'm directed by God and know clearly that he's speaking to me, it seems like a a useless waste of time to wait too long to respond of like the grace of God allows us to just like turn around, repent, go back, (laughs) redirect. But was it difficult? Absolutely. I don't like asking for what I need and I don't like admitting weakness and I don't like asking for the sake of other people needing to shift things or change things on to honor and love me. I had always walked around with this belief that I should just be able to deal with it on my own and man up and strong up, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but it's truly what God says in his word that it's in your weakness that God's, you know, God's strength is made perfect when we're willing to admit our need for him. And then he can use us in greater, more intimate ways when we choose to submit and honor that design that he's given to us, body, mind, and spirit. Yeah. So then you started your online business at support of the family in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're coaching people. You started your podcast. Yeah. Uh, In this season now, as you reflect back, was it worth the wait? Totally. I know. I, it's, I would not change a single thing. 
Matt would not have been able to do what he was called to do if God had given me a place in the team. Yeah. Um, on the stage, we wouldn't have been able to do it as long as we did. I, it would be like, you know, trying to take out your liver and turn it into a stomach. Like it's a different body part. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't function that way. God knew in his sovereignty, he knew. And I'm, I, I'm, I know that at the end of my life, none of us are going to be laying on our deathbeds and thinking, man, I'm just so glad that I had, you know, rock solid abs for such a long period in my life, you know, or no one's going to be looking over my casket going, do you remember Tori's rock solid abs? You know, hopefully. (laughs) She really Um, let herself go. (laughs) Or like, they're not going to think, I don't think I'm going to be on my deathbed thinking about my sales and my business or the amount of streams we had on, you know, Spotify or these, these things that matter 0% when you're entering into eternity, when you're right on the cusp. And there is such, there is such wisdom in the proverb that says that, you know, or Psalm that says, teach us to number our days so we can gain a heart of wisdom. If it's not going to matter deeply to me in my eighties on my deathbed, then I don't want it to define and alter the way that I'm making decisions here and now when we're living for eternity in our everyday, which is what the podcast is all about is practically helping ambitious women of faith like me align their work with a, an eternal reality. It's good to work hard. Work is a gift from God. We've been designed with good gifts we have an essential role in the body of Christ. It's not time to not embrace our place, but it's the time to rise up and to, you know, embrace our place, but with the boundaries that God has established for us in his word to do so, to live as Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start here, start in me with my gifts and abilities, start here in my home, start here in this little ministry, start here in my decision-making and how that all unfolds to transform who we are destined by God to become rather than simply focused on behavior. Well, this is the Why Me Project podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, kind of reflecting over those hills and valleys, because you said that there were a lot of them. Were there any standout Why Me moments that you experienced? I had to ask myself, why me? I think, so I think you can ask this question in two different forms, right? Mm -hmm. You can ask it from a place of victimhood and you can ask it from a place of victory. Yeah. And, uh, at the beginning of when my husband was first called to ministry and I was left behind, there was a lot of wallowing about why me? Why was I left at home? Why do I have to work five part-time jobs so that you could live my dream? Why do I have to be home with babies in this hidden season of anonymousness? Like it, it really is such an anonymous season, motherhood and ministry and home life in a culture where we're told be seen as much as you possibly can be, get as yeah. many views, get as many things, show yourself as impressive, yeah. gain accolades. And, you know, the, and when you're seeing your friends and family doing that, it's just that, and you have that natural you know, tug and pull in your heart. It's the, why me? Why am, why do I not get that place? That was kind of my biggest why me movement. Yeah. But when it shifted from, it's not your place 
in a victim mentality to it's not your place in a victor mentality, realizing I have an essential place. Now the question is not why me, but the question is, well, why me, God? Why have you entrusted me with this? What am I supposed to do with this? Who cares about this? Why does this matter to you? Who will this impact for someone who's five steps behind me who needs the encouragement for where I am today in their walk with the Lord and in their relationships and their marriage and their businesses, you know, you name it. Um, that shift happened when I began seeing the thread of the story, which you guys know, cause you've listened to so many stories that the calling that God has placed on your life is always found in the story that you've walked through every single time. It's just a matter of putting on your eternal viewpoint to look at it from a place of victory and honestly ask God, well, why me? Why have you entrusted me with this? And what do you want me to do with it? So hmm. it's good. Yeah. I love that. She's uh She's a podcaster, a coach, a speaker at Tori May Hine on the Insta, ToriMayHine.com, hashtag RockHardAbs. Tori, thank you for taking some time and Uh, hanging out with us. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Such an honor. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll admit, in the fact that every time that you say we need to talk to insert name here, (laughs) they turn out to be the best person in the world, and it is, you know, a great decision by you, Holly. Oh, well, thank you for trusting me. I so appreciated that conversation. You're so raw and authentic, and I think it's what we really need to have right now, conversations about what happens when the place you think you should be in is not the place that God has called you to be in. And I also love that for the first time ever, why me as a victimhood or victory? Yeah, she articulated that so so well. Because we kind of say that sometimes on the hills and valleys. Sometimes it comes from a place of of being upset, sometimes a place of, of humility. So she just summed that up really well. You could download Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pure Volume, Ask Jeeves, and we're going to try to get on MSN Messenger. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's ICQ. Very oh, good. sorry. <laughs> but you didn't say that one, so I felt like we needed to bring that one up, too. Very fair. Homage to our youth. Um, you can also head to faithstrongtoday.com for more.